0: Chapter 19 of Harry D. or Making It Out. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Charlotte Rose. Harry D. or Making It Out by Francis J. Finn. Chapter 19. In which the chapter proceeds from gay to grave, from lively to severe. Toma, quinam nam est huius vocis significatio? Tom, what's the meaning of this word? I asked, pointing him to the word "nauicularis" in the Manilian law. Reuera, nescio, nunquam antea vidi. I'm sure I don't know, never met it before. Nonne derivatur awoke nauis quae anglique significat ship? Isn't it from nauis a ship? inquired Harry Quip. Utique, Henrique, yam yam magistrum hak dere rogawi, qui mecertiorem fecit vocabulum istut significare shipowner. Yes, Harry, I've already asked our professor, and he tells me that the word in question means a ship owner. Came from Percy. Si quis me rogaret, quomodo Anglice redderem istam partem mercatoribus et navicularis injuriosius tractatis. Ita redderem our counter-jumpers and ship-owners having been severely sat upon. Were I asked to translate mercatoribus et naeicularis in tractatis, put in tom, I'd render it this way, our counter-jumpers, etc. O gratiae decentes, quae, si credendum sit horatio, Tempore veris ner terram alterno quatitis pede ubi estis. Ye comely graces, who, if we may credit Horace, strike the vernal earth with changing feet, where are ye? No one but Percy could have delivered such an apostrophe. He alone of our band had dipped into Horace. It was an afternoon in October. We were in the blue grass, Quip, Rudders, Tom, Percy, White, Richards, and myself, each with Cicero's Prolege Manilia in his hand. Percy was seated with his back against a tree. The rest of us were lying about in various easy postures. Here we were in the class of humanities and talking Latin twice a week. Not one of us had led aside our Latin during the vacation months. Before leaving school, we had agreed, for the honor of the class, for the honor of the school, to give a certain number of hours each week to the reading of Cicero's De Amicitia. To make this more binding, we had furthermore agreed to submit ourselves to an examination in it, in translation only. From Mr. Middleton on our return. In addition to this, we had kept up a correspondence with one another in Latin. Whence came all this energy? The answer presents itself to every reader. From none other than Tom Playfair. That vigorous little man had made up his mind that our class was to secure the intercollegiate medal if human exertion could bring it about. On our return to college, he had at once organized this Latin academy. Every Tuesday and Thursday afternoon we came together in the blue grass, and for an hour studied and read and discussed that supreme work of elegant Latinity, Cicero's Manilian Law. This speech belonged to the matter of rhetoric class, but we took it up all the same. During this hour... All the talking was in Latin. Strange as it may seem, these hours were among the pleasantest of the week. We had become really interested in Latin, and took as much pleasure in a new idiom or turn of expression as a botanist in a strange specimen. All of us had our notebooks and made memoranda of every phrase that struck our fancy. On this bright October afternoon we looked much the same as during the preceding year. Percy had grown somewhat taller, but he was for all that a small boy. He was still clad in his sober black coat and black knickerbockers, for though taller than boys are wont to be who wear these latter, Percy still retained them. And indeed, his natural grace and fine figure, so different from the hobble de form, manner, and emotion of the ordinary boy of sixteen, gave a peculiar fitness to his costume. Tom, stout as ever, but two inches below Percy in height, was outwardly and inwardly the same noble fellow. Harry Quip had developed into a bookworm. Keenan and Donal were no longer with us, They had been promoted to the senior division, leaving the leadership of the small yard to Percy and Tom. On the occasion of this present meeting, Tom was bubbling over with good humor, but he found Latin a poor vehicle for his witticisms and so grew very reckless about moods, tenses, and idioms. Habeo aliquid novi comunicare. Sed nescio quomodo, Hang it. Nescio quomodo, nescio, nescio. I have some news, boys, he said. But I don't know. Uh, hang it. I can't, can't. Non potes, quae tua es paupertas verborum, rem latine exprimere. You can't with your narrow vocabulary put it into Latin, said Percy, smiling. Rem acutigisti, aquam modo volo. Shade of Cicero, hora esset supra. You've hit the nail on the head, was his answer. Oh, how I wish the hour was up, supra. It was some time before we came at Tom's meeting of supra. Percy announced the discovery with a musical laugh in which we all joined. Tempus est, licet anglicke Time's up, you can talk English, said Percy in due course, whereupon Tom began. Boys, the best news in the world! Mr. Middleton thinks we're losing too much of our playtime at this Latin business. Oh, that's great news! Interpolated Quip sarcastically. Let me have my inning out, will you? He's been thinking about the matter, and he's gone to the president and obtained permission for all the humanities boys in the small yard to stay up half an hour longer than the other small boys every night. Hurrah! With what anonymity that cheer issued from six pairs of vigorous lungs, and that's not all he's going to superintend our work himself his plan is simply gorgeous listen will you we're all ears said quip every night he will assign us 15 or 16 lines from cicero a passage that we have never seen the crowd of us are to spend 10 minutes in making out the translation Then the next night we are to take an idiomatic English translation, which he himself will make out, and put it back into Latin, trying to reproduce, as nearly as we can, the idiom and turns of expression which Cicero employed. For this we are allowed twenty minutes. Splendid! Interjected Percy. But that's not all. We are to hand in our themes to him when we go up to the dormitory. He will examine every one of them before he goes to bed, and he'll pencil mark them wherever he were particularly bad in blue, and where we're particularly good in red. And occasionally, when he thinks it suitable, he will jot down a few words of criticism on our Latin style. Isn't it great? exclaimed the rudders. We'll get a better course of training than the boys in day colleges, Joe White observed. There are not three out yet, observed Tom dryly. Allow me to finish my inning. During this half hour we can talk as much as we please. Oh, came the chorus, but only in Latin. Ah, and I've given my word of honor that the condition will be observed faithfully now in return for this favor mr middleton wants us to give up this hour on tuesday and thursday and put it in a good solid physical exercise and then we gave mr middleton such a cheer i wish i was pope quip observed solemnly i'd canonize our teacher the first thing no you wouldn't "'contradicted Richards with a smile. "'You'd have to kill him first, and you'd be slow about that.' "'Me thinks!' exclaimed Tom, throwing himself into a dramatic attitude. "'I see a golden medal!' "'Then he spoils the attitude by leaping into the air, "'knocking his heels together and adding, "'In my mind's eye, Horatio!' Just think of the six rhetoric and poetry classes that are to contend against us, said Rutters. They're older and they've been studying longer. Age hasn't very much to do with it, I put in. Very little, indeed, supplemented Percy. We read of prominent men in England who were skilled in the classics at the age of ten or eleven. I knew a lawyer in Cincinnati who had been taught childhood by his father. He could read any Latin author, almost, when he was 11. And there's the opium eater, added Richards, our great reader. When he was 17, he used to read Greek tragedies, not to speak of Latin, with as much pleasure as we read a novel. The difference between them and us, I should think, aside from the talent, added percy is that they go at the study in earnest they take hold of things with a strong grasp and don't let loose easily they don't shirk difficulties i reckon that's what makes the difference between a great man and a small potato said harry quip but now let's look at our chances calmly and tom became very thoughtful as he spoke Carlyle says that our. What was that quotation you made from Carlyle the other day, Percy? Our wishes are presentiments of our capabilities. Precisely. Tally one for Carlyle. Now, we wish to get that medal just a little bit, don't we? Oh, don't we? ejaculated Quip with a solemn roll of his eyes. Very well. In the next place, we've had a great advantage in keeping the same teacher. He's followed us and knows just where we are weak and where we are strong. He doesn't have to spend a week or two each year in finding out what we don't know. Best of all, he's such a teacher. The boy who can't learn from him must be made entirely of mud. In the third place, we're in a boarding college where it's easier to study than in a day college. Now, the six other competing colleges are day schools. Yes, said Rudders. But what about the poets and rhetoricians of St. Moores? Well, that's the great point. But if you come to look at things, I don't see why we should be afraid of them. It's this way. As a matter of fact, though we are only in humanities, We've actually studied as much Latin already as boys have ordinarily studied when leaving poetry. Look at this. Last year we did double work in Latin. That is, we saw as much as we ought to see in two years. This year we're going to do double work in Latin again. And our double work doesn't run on versification, prosody, and the erudition of Latin, but is all bent to the one single purpose of making ourselves good team writers. "'That's a solid reason,' said Percy, as indeed it was. There was another argument which Tom did not bring forward and which, in fact, could never have occurred to him. It was this. His little Ciceronian society was made up of members extraordinary not only in their energy but also in their mental ability. Percy I consider to be the most gifted lad I have ever met. Very close to him came Tom. Richards was a boy of wondrous memory and a maturity beyond his years. The others were bright, quick, and energetic. Taking it all in all, these little boys in their knickerbockers were as intellectual set for their age as one could wish to meet with week after week passed away october glided into december january raged february stormed march wept but changed the seasons as they might the ciceronian club was hard at it night after night the progress we made was something remarkable at first, I led all in command of idiom, while Tom was the authority as an offhand translator. Insensibly, Percy came to take rank with me, and long before spring he was my superior, not only in idiom, but in facility. At Christmas, we made one change in our program. We shortened the time of translation from ten to five minutes. This we did for two reasons. First, we found that as the weeks went on, it became quite easy for us to read Cicero. Secondly, we wished to give more time and finish to our team. So wrapped was I in my studies that in looking back into that year, I remember but a few incidents of any note. The only matter which distracted me from my books were the steps taken with regard to discovering the whereabouts of Mrs. Raynor. My father had placed the affair in the hands of a detective agency. The chief detective had assured us that although the search would be difficult, we need entertain no doubts as to the final result. Yes, sir, he said emphatically. We'll find her, dead or alive. Our agency commands well nigh every district in the United States, sir. Why, sir? A case like this is child's play to us. Only two years ago, one of our men yanked a defaulter out of a boat on the Zambezi River, followed him up, sir, from America to Europe, and then right smack into the heart of Africa. We never sleep, sir. It occurred to me, as I looked up into his bloodshot eyes, that it would be a good thing for this vigilant detective were he to take a sound nap. I had not been two weeks back at St. Moore's when a telegram reached my father to this effect. We've got a clue. Mrs. R. known to have been in St. Louis two nights after the tragedy. Further news in a week. Horace Tinker, Chief Detective Bureau. One week later, there came this letter, which my father kindly sent me. It's a mistake. It was not a Mrs. Raynor, but a Mr. Raynor at St. Louis, two nights after the tragedy. Detective Green, one of the best men on our force, says that he thinks he's got another clue. He will not mention it till he has discovered a few missing links. Probably, Detective Green never came upon the missing link, for that was the last I heard of him. There was a long silence on the part of these sleepless officials. In January, the indefatigable tinker announced that Mrs. Raynor was at length found. A week later, he was compelled to acknowledge that this lady's name was not Ada, but Gertrude, that she was over seventy years of age, and though old enough to be Mrs. Ada Raynor's grandmother, no relation to my former nurse at all. Then Mr. Tinker relapsed into vigilant silence. End of chapter 19